William Ernest Henley penned a poem titled Invictus. Listen to the words. Out of the dark night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the burgings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And now listen to some contrasting words by Marvin Sapp. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Oh, you have brought me from a mighty long way. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Oh, you have brought me from a mighty long way. You've been my mother. You've been my father. You've been my sister, my brother too. Oh, you have brought me from a mighty mighty long way. You've been my doctor. You've been my lawyer. You've been my teacher. You've been my friend indeed. Oh, you brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. You've been my bread. You've been my water. You've been my life, my everything. Oh, you brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. You've been my bread. You've been my water. You've been my life. You've been my everything. Oh, you brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. What a contrast between I am the captain of my fate and the master of my soul to Jesus. You have brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. The question is, which one of those expressions are you and I living in? Are we living like we are the master of our souls and the captains of our faith? Or are we living like, Jesus, you have brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. You see, when I live in that second song, that Jesus, you have brought me from a mighty, mighty long way. Yes, in saying that, I am acknowledging my dependency upon the Lord Jesus But folks, dependency is the epicenter of thanksgiving. The more dependent I am on Him, the more I realize I am dependent upon Him, and the more I am living and moving my life at being brought by Him from a mighty, mighty long way, the more thankful I'm going to be to Him for who He is and for what He's doing in my life. Such was the case with David, the king of Israel. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. When we realize that God has brought us and is bringing us 
from a mighty long way. Praise and worship and thanksgiving is just going to spontaneously come. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. As you turn there, allow me to give you the background. David is the king of Israel. And things have been going extremely well for David in the sense that he has brought Israel to the zenith of its power. And God pulls his servant aside and he says to David, David, I've made you the king of Israel. He reminds David that, David, when I found you, when I went after you, you were a shepherd boy. I went to you in the desert. And I told you I was going to make you the leader and the prince of my people. And I pulled you up out of the desert and anointed you to become the king of my people. I cut off all your enemies. I've made your name great. And now I've brought you to a place that I'm giving you rest from your enemies. And I'm going to be as a father to you. And David, you're going to be as a son to me. And then he promises David three important truths for the future. We call this the Davidic covenant. Number one, David, I'm going to give you an eternal house. Number two, I'm going to give you an eternal kingdom. And three, I'm going to give you an eternal throne. It was the basic promise to David that the Messiah would come through his lineage. Now, David responds to what God has told him. 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. Then King David went in and set before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Notice the expression of how he addresses God repeatedly, O Lord God. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. I invite you, if you would, to follow along. Notice verse 18. The Lord says to David in chapter 7, this is the future. And David, verse 18, went in and sat before the Lord. Went in and sat before the Lord. He went into the, best we can tell, what was called the Tent of Meeting, Tabernacle, and he sat before the Lord. The Hebrew word that's translated, we translate sat there, basically means to go in and just do something for a while. In other words, this is not drive-by. This is not timed. 
This is, David goes in and he just hangs out in the presence of the Lord and his whole focus is the Lord. What are you and I sitting before? Where is our focus? You see, if we try to have our relationship with the Lord built on drive-by prayers and drive-by Bible studies and drive-by catch some grace here and catch some grace there, we're going to end up pretty dry after a while. But if we will go and just sit before the Lord in the presence of the Lord and look upon the Lord for a while and stay in God's presence and listening to Him as long as He tells us we're supposed to be there, that's when we really begin to drink in what God's got for us. That's when we leave different from the way that we came in. David went in there and he sat before the Lord. Verse 18, it says he was before the Lord. We translate it there with a preposition before. The Hebrew word there is actually much more expressive than that. The root of it has to do with someone's face. In the Hebrew concept, the, the face was very important because it was your face where you showed all your emotions. It was your face where you expressed what was going on inside of you. How many of us, they say 70% of human communication is body language. So when we talk to somebody, what do we tend to do? We look into their face. We're constantly reading their facial expressions. And that's the idea behind the word here when it says he went before the Lord. He sat before the Lord and... It's the concept that as he sat before the Lord, he said, God, this is who I am. This is what I am. I am just exposing all that I am to you. This is the highs, the lows, the smiles, the frowns, the joys, the sorrows, the journey of my life, Lord. Everything is an open book before you. I am not covering up anything. As we would say today, David went in there and sat before the Lord, and he got real with God. And folks, nothing's really going to happen with us and God until we get in God's presence and stay in God's presence and get real with God in His presence. Now notice what he says next. He says, you have brought me from afar. Lord, you kept your promises. You have brought me from afar. That word there, brought, is a term of empowerment. When God brings you anywhere, He is empowering your life with His presence. You see, dependency upon the Lord is not weakness and inadequacy. Rather, dependency upon the Lord is the place of empowerment. I'm saying, God, I need your power. God, I need your direction. Lord, I need a word from you before I make this decision. God, I need a word from you and an empowerment from you before I take the next step. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. What was Paul saying when I realized my weakness and I confess my weakness and I'm in touch with my weakness and I got my weakness out there in front of you, God? That's where, Lord, you're able to reach down and empower me. You see, a lot of us live our lives in fake strength because it's our strength. And our strength is fake. Our strength won't get us the distance. It'll make us think it's going to get us the distance, but it doesn't. His empowerment. Lord, you, you brought me. Verse 19. Lord, everything you said you're going to do and everything that you've done, how you've taken care of my enemies. Lord, how you have promised to take care of my family. How you brought me from being a shepherd boy and 
when you took me through becoming king of Israel and Saul tried to take my life. Lord, when I had to face Goliath and you took him out. And he, David could just go on and on of all the things God had done. Lord, this was a small thing in your eyes. This was a small thing. I mean, creating the universe and then doing the things you've done in my life, that's small stuff. When I was in, I guess I was probably around 8th, ninth grade, we uh, did a section in physical education class on wrestling. And my coach, or our PE teacher, pulled a bunch of us boys out of the class and said, you really are not ready to get on the mat and start wrestling. You don't have the muscle tone to last any time when you get on that mat. So a bunch of you guys are going to have to be in weight training. I was very insulted. Because I was so out of touch with reality, and I was very insulted. But he said, you're going to have to take this weight training. So I go in there, and I remember the first day we were in weight training. I know for those of you that are athletic, this is going to seem pathetic and pitiful, okay, but just, all right, just, just bear with me. Coach goes in there, and he picks up this bar, and he puts 50 pounds of weight on it. And, you know, I've got to go there and pick up the 50 pounds, and I didn't think I was going to be any big deal until I grabbed hold of it, and I started doing this. And it was a lot heavier than what I was anticipating it was going to be. And he says, now, eventually we're going to move you up to 75, and, you know, eventually we're going to try to get up to 100 and all that. But my gracious, the 50 was about all I could handle that day. I thought I was doing something to get the 50 up. But this is what got me. I'm sitting there struggling to get the 50 pounds up and start doing this number with it. And my coach goes over there. He picks the 50 pounds up and treats it like it's paper. You know, he's up and down and doing all kinds of stuff with it, etc. And it was very intimidating to watch that. But that's the idea of what he says here this is a small thing in your eyes. Lord, what, it's all I can do to pull this up. You just pick it up, Lord, and just bounce it all over the place. No big deal to you. Folks, follow what he's saying here and how it applies to our life. What David is saying here is the things that weigh me down are like tissue paper to you, Lord. As he, so many of us are carrying things in our life that are weighing us down and overwhelming us, and when we focus not on that but on the Lord... We realize that we are serving a God that what overwhelms us is nothing to Him. And what we can't seem to pick up, He can pick up and throw around the room. Verse 20, you know your servant. You know your servant. You understand your servant. He sees us. He sees all of us. He looks into our heart. He looks into our mind. David is essentially saying, Lord, you know me through and through. You know who? You know your servant. We know the power of God only as servants. We know only the power of God as servants. I want to say it a third time. We know the power of God only as servants. God only empowers servants. 
when I am not in a position of being a servant to Him, He does not empower. It is possible, please hear me on this, it is possible to carry titles of ministry. I don't care whether it's Sunday school teacher, deacon, pastor, whatever. It is possible to carry a title of ministry and not be empowered by God in that ministry. Because if I carry a position or a title, but I do not carry a servant's heart and a servant's mind with the title, I'm going to have to, it has to become a work of my flesh. You see, it's not the title. It is not the position. It's the empowerment of God that makes the difference. And the only way we know the empowerment of God is with the heart of a servant. 1st 21 Your promise, Lord. You've kept your promises. Verse 21 Lord, your heart. David is saying there it hasn't just been promises in some cold relationship. Rather, you've kept your promises to me because we've been close together. Oh, I love verse 21, the last part of it. You brought about all this greatness. You brought about all this greatness. The word translated, translated greatness there means to set high value upon. To set high value upon. Lord, I realize sitting here in your presence, when I see how you've kept your promises, as I sit here in your presence as your servant, that you have set high value upon me. You have set high value upon me. When I was in elementary school and going into junior high school, we had a, a young man in... Uh, the school I attended, who had some severe physical disabilities. And when he would walk, he struggled to walk in a straight line. And when he walked, his feet were sort of turned in, and his hands and arms would sort of flail around. So that when you saw him walking, um, it, it was a bit of a, a sight to behold because you've got arms and hands that are flailing through the air. You've got feet that are turning in that made it look like he was going to trip at any moment. And, I, and he just really stood out in the school. And you'd see him walking across the school there in the hallways or wherever. And his body just looked like he was out of control. The administrators of that school made a very important decision in relationship to this young man. And that is that they would place high value upon him. And they would create an atmosphere in the school where all of us were instructed and taught to place high value upon him. So that we did not look at this young man like he was some kind of walking freak show. Rather, we were coached and instructed to look upon him rather as a young man just like us, who just walked differently from us, but who had intrinsic value. That the condition of his physical body and the difference of who he was in no way took value away from him.
David is saying here, Lord, you brought about all this greatness. You have placed such high value upon me. And folks, all of us at some place in time in life are going to feel like we were that boy that I went to school with years ago. Maybe not physically, but sometimes spiritually and sometimes emotionally, we just feel like we're going through life and we're just all out of control. We feel like people probably look at us and think, good gracious, what value do they have to bring to anything? We feel like we sometimes can't even walk a straight line without everything in our life just sort of going all over the place. And the message here is that God looks at you, I don't care how messed up you think you are, how out of the mainstream you may feel like you are, He looks at you and He places high value upon you. Now I want you to look at verses 21 and 22. Because David here grounds his thanksgiving now in the person of God. And he uses two expressions for God, two names for God. Verse 22, there is no God beside you. The word that's translated God there, capital G, small case O and D, is the Hebrew name for God, and I'm going to pronounce it and spell it so you can write it down, Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Now, before I go much farther, let me explain this to you. In the Old Testament, in our English Bibles, you will see terms like God, Lord God, Lord used. That's the way the names of God are translated. In the actual Hebrew language, there are specific names for God. They just get translated as sort of the same word, God, Lord, God, Lord. But they're actually a series of specific names for God. And this particular name for God is the name Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. It is a combination of two Hebrew concepts. The El means strong, powerful. Him is the idea of majesty. So you are strong in your majesty. Now... The name Elohim first appears to us in the book of Genesis, in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, and he is presented as the strong, powerful, majestic one who creates. So this term Elohim, from beginning with Genesis, is associated with God as the powerful creator. Now notice what he's saying here in verse 22. There is no Elohim... There is no powerful, majestic creator besides you. I don't believe David here is just looking back at the dawn of creation. I think what David is doing is he's sitting here in the presence of the Lord. He is looking back on the journey of his life where God has brought him. He is looking at where he is right now with God. He is anticipating what God has said about where he's taking him. And he is saying, you are the Elohim of my life. You are the creator of my life. You took me when I was following sheep out in the desert and you begin to create a story, the story of my life. You are creating that story right now and tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds, you will be the creator of that story. That's awesome. You see, what God has for you and for me is for Him to be the creator of the story of our life. 
Every once in a while as a pastor, I have a funeral service for uh, someone who has just walked with Jesus and served Jesus year after year and decade after decade. And when we rehearse the story of their life at the funeral service, basically what we do is we just tell the story of the Creator creating His story in and through their life. This is what God's got for you folks, that when you come to the end of your journey of this life, you don't look back with a whole bunch of regrets. I blew it here, I screwed it up there, I did my thing over here, that you can look back and say, it's a story of what He created. It's a story of what He has done. Our lives can be the story of our Creator creating in us, creating through us, creating around us. That'll get you out of bed in the morning with some energy and excitement. This day is the day that who has made? The Lord has made. And the Lord has made it because this day He is creating. See, He is creating as much today as He was on the first day of creation in Genesis. We do God a tremendous disservice, so we take Him and lock Him into the book of Genesis and say, well, He created back then, we didn't create anything since then. He just got started with creation in the book of Genesis. He's been creating ever since. That's why the Bible says we are what we are God's new creation in Christ Jesus. He is the Elohim, the creator of our life story. But then verse 18, he uses an expression that he uses four times in three verses. David just can't spit this name for God out enough. You are the, verse 18, the Lord God. Now, let me give you the name there. It is a combination of two names. The first, which is the one I'm going to dwell on the most, is Adonai. A-D-O-N-A-I. Adonai. A-D-O-N-A-Y. You are the Lord God, second name, the covenant name for God, Yahweh. Y-A-H-W-E-H. Y-A-H-W-E-H. You are Adonai, Yahweh. Now, I'm, just, I'm going to put my emphasis for time's sake on the first name, Adonai. It means master, owner, controller. Master, owner, controller. Verse 18, who am I, O Adonai Yahweh? Who am I, master? Verse 18 Excuse me, verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Adonai, Yahweh, O Master, Controller. Goes on down again, this is instruction for mankind, O Adonai, Yahweh, Master, Controller. And what more can David say to you, for you know your servant, O Adonai, Yahweh, my Master, my Controller. Scripture says we've been bought with a price. What is David saying here? David is saying, Lord, you own me. You are my master. I am your servant. You control me. He says it over and over and over again. You're my master. You're my master. You're my master. You control me, you control me. I'm your servant. You see, folks, control is a mirage. 
We don't really control anything. We just think we control stuff. When we sometimes wake up in life and say, my life's all out of control, guess what? It's been all out of control anyway. We just thought we had it under control. He's saying, Lord, you are in control. In those days, the servant had the right to the master's protection, to his help, and to his direction, and he could depend on the faithfulness of his master. When you were children, did you ever play this game called King of the Hill? Somebody got up on a picnic table usually, and they were the king of the hill. And what did everybody else try to do? Knock them off the hill so they could become king of the hill so then everybody could regroup and do what? Knock them off the hill. And as soon as you got to be king of the hill, you had about five seconds to enjoy it because once you got up there and got your feet planted, everybody was coming after you to knock you off your hill. So you could only enjoy being king of the hill for about five seconds. Isn't that the way life is so many times? We get to be king of the hill, and no sooner do we get to be king of the hill than we look down, and somebody or a bunch of people are trying to knock us off our hill. What David is saying here, we keep saying, Oh, Lord God, oh, Lord God, oh, Lord God, is Lord, you are the king of the hill. I'm not going to get up here and pretend like I'm king of my hill and I am in control because I know that won't last any time. You are the king of my hill. You're my master. You're my Lord. I want you to close your eyes with me. I want you to imagine your life. As a deed. Deeds have listed on them all of the things that are possessed on a piece of property, the house, the property, the size, etc. So imagine your life. with your abilities, with your time, your body, your mind, your problems, your fears, your dreams, your family, your hopes, whatever. But imagine all those things listed on that deed. At the bottom of the deed is where the owner signs the deed to acknowledge that they own everything that's on the deed. So you've got the deed of your life in front of you with a listing of, again, abilities, time, body, mind, fears, hopes, dreams, etc. Take the deed, if you will. Erase your name. Now in your mind's eye, invite Jesus to sign his name there.
And know that as Jesus signs His name there, He does so with the blood that He shed for us on Calvary. That's the ink and the pen that He uses to sign His name as a deed of our lives. Lord, as we see you signing your name to the deed of our lives, we say to you, you have brought us from a mighty, mighty long way. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If today in signing that deed of your life, you need to give your life to Jesus and choose to follow Him and walk with Him, then I want to invite you to come as we sing in just a moment and give your life to Jesus this day. And if the Lord is laying upon you any other public decision you need to make to answer a call to the ministry or to become part of this church family, we invite you to come. And as always, the altar is open if you need to come and pray. And let me encourage you to use this time of invitation to Continue to talk with the Lord about, Lord, this part of my life belongs to you. This issue belongs to you, etc. Bless you, Jesus. Let's stand together.